All right, so today we are going to speak uh, on another message that will be a series in the future as well. And we have a few that we've done that I don't typically share a message and say it's going to be a series later. We usually go right into the series, but uh, this is the third time I'm doing it now. So if you remember, we did a message about saved to serve. And I told you that'll be a series down the road. And we did saved to give. And I said, that'll be a series down the road. Well, I'm going to do it one more time to you. Today's message is called Saved to Live. And this also will be a series down the road. But God has saved us to live. Now, the word live is a powerful word. And in Scripture, we know that it was spoken and something that was dead came to life. You will live and not die. The word live in itself, if spoken with authority, can cancel death. The word live can cause life to spring up again in someone who feels dead inside. The word live can bring life to a relationship, a marriage. The word live can cause a business to start fresh. The word live with God's anointing, can once again cause life and joy to spring up. So I believe that we were saved to live. Now, if you're here this morning and, you know, maybe you've, you're not really used to church stuff and you're thinking, what do they mean saved? Well, saved from what? You know, as a non-believer, when someone says to be saved, you might think, well, saved from a fire or saved from a flood or something, you know, a disaster. And, you know, I remember a story recently, I saw it online again from a news station, but just a few months ago, there was a young boy who was saved from a fire in Edmonton. Maybe some of you saw that story. And they interviewed the mom. And the mom was telling about it and saying how she got most of her kids out, but she couldn't find her five-year-old boy. She tried to look, but the smoke was too much. And then they showed video footage of the flames coming out of the house and smoke everywhere. And you could hear her screaming in the background because she can't find her, her son. And she is telling them when they're interviewing her, I prayed, God, save my son. They called 911, and the ambulance got there really quite quickly. They searched the house, of course, with the gear and stuff so they could go through the smoke. And they found her son. He was hiding in a closet. And everywhere in the room was burned around him except where he was standing. And he was completely fine. And as they're interviewing her, she says, God did a miracle. So yes, we understand saving in that term from a natural disaster. But when we talk about saved or salvation here at church, we're talking about being saved from sin and its consequences. And now you might be saying, well, that's harder to picture. That's not a fire or somebody drowning. But yet, it is just as necessary for us to be saved. Just like that little boy, we couldn't save ourselves. In fear, he was hiding in a closet. For us, maybe we're hiding from things that are happening in our life, and God says, I want to save you from it. And so he came... And Jesus died on a cross in our place to save us from sin and its consequences. 
Ephesians 2 verse 4 says this, But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ, and seated us with Him in heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. So he came to save us from sin or eternal death. You see, sin caused us to be separated from the Heavenly Father. It brought upon us death, which would be eternal or eternal separation. Now, we are saved from that, but we are not just saved from something. We are saved to something. You see, he didn't just save us from our sins so, you know, that, oh, good, I'm saved. I won't go to hell. One day I'll go to heaven. Now I just need to sit alone in my house, you know, and don't watch TV because I want to make it to heaven. I just threw that in there and make sure you're listening. TV's okay. Just choose what you're watching well. But do you get it? Sometimes as believers, there's a mindset of, well, okay, I'll serve God, but, you know, I want to get saved, but now I don't know what to do. Do I just do nothing? No. You are saved for a purpose. You're saved to something, and it is good. You see, we are saved to live. And we are saved to live fully. We are saved to live abundantly. Now, the name of the church is Abundant Life Worship Center. That comes from Scripture. You see, you're saved from sin, and you're saved to live abundantly. John 10, verse 10, we read this. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Or maybe your version says abundant life. Full, overflowing. That is the life Christ wants to save you to. He wants to overflow you in many areas. That abundance is not just talking about your finances. That abundance is internal and it's talking about joy it's talking about living in overflow with him malachi 3:10 speaks specifically to finance we can look at that for a minute it says bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this says the lord of hosts if i will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. You see, God wants to bless you beyond what you can even imagine. He wants to fill you to overflowing. He wants to give you more than you can contain. You are not saved to live a horrible life. I need this kind of to be clear now. Sometimes people feel that, well, I'm saved and I know I'm just going to suffer, but that's okay because I'm going to heaven. That's actually not scriptural. God said he's saving you for something great. He said he wants to give you abundance. Now, will you ever suffer? Sure, there's some scripture that says you'll go through things, yes, but you'll go through them, not stay in them. God wants you and I to be examples to the world of what it is to live fully and completely, you and I. Psalm 16, verse 11, we read, you will show me the path of life. 
In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy. If you're here today and you're a believer, you know that you and I are saved to be full of joy. And so I want to say this today. Joy is ours and joy is from the inside out. The verse in scripture where we read that some of the believers were going through a lot of persecution. But it said, yet they had joy unspeakable and full of glory. You see, God wants us to be joyful. And I got to ask you a question. Have you experienced joy recently? How joyful are you? This is a, a, a scale for you to figure out. Do I have joy? So let me ask you the question you can ask yourself. When's the last time you laughed? Think about that for a minute. All right. Okay, when's the last time you laughed so hard your stomach hurt? I had one young guy at the 9 a.m. come up to me and he said, you know, two days ago I laughed so hard my stomach hurt. He said, and then I laughed so hard I couldn't breathe. I said, it sounds like you got some joy. And he was telling me, it was because my friend and I were saying microwave and we said it funny. I said, yeah, that's not even funny. So I didn't say that to him. But, you know, the point was they laughed easily. And young people have a way of being able to laugh easily because they don't have the weight of the world and they're not thinking about what's happening and all my bills and what I got to do. But you and I can also be able to laugh that way because he's got it. We're his kids. Young people that are thinking everything's wonderful are trusting that their parents have got it all looked after, aren't they? Well, I don't have to think about it. There's always food in the fridge. Well, you and I can also have joy because of our Heavenly Father. He's got us. He's not going to let us go. He's not going to fail us or forsake us. That's what he said. Trust him. Let him fill you with joy because we are saved to live abundantly. So I believe we are saved to live free. John 8, 31 to 36 says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. You see, freedom comes from Christ for you and I. And freedom begins in the heart. Freedom begins, maybe I should say for us to understand, begins in the mind. You see, our heart is who we really are, the inside us. And God wants you free. God doesn't just want us trying to be free. He wants us free. And in our own strength, we can do a little bit but we can't do it all. Galatians 5 verse 1 says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, and yeah, I'm moving fairly quickly through the scriptures. Again, this is an overview of something that will be a series down the road. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, 
and of a sound mind. Oh, God is giving you something great. You see, when I'm talking about being saved to live free, if you're living in fear, you're not free. Did you know that? Freedom and fear don't go together. To be free, we need fear gone from our minds. I'm not going to go into that in a, a long process here, but I want to encourage you. The battle that we are often facing begins in our minds. You see, living in bondage or living in freedom starts right here. He has given you the ability to win the battle where it starts. And it starts right there. Oh, but let me give you scripture. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. It says, We walk in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our wherefore are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing, into, uh, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, I love this verse that he's obviously telling us we don't wrestle in a fleshly manner. We don't have to fight with fists and uh, boxing. <laughs> he's saying we actually, the battle is a spiritual battle first, he's saying. But then when he gets down to the practical part of it, he is telling us that it begins in the mind. He says, take every thought captive. You see, the enemy will begin by attacking here. He'll put a thought, and if we choose to entertain that thought, the thought eventually will become action. And from there, there can be problems if it's a thought from the enemy or wrong. But the battle is won when we take in and receive what God says and act on that. But let me give you an example. Let me just sort of randomly make something up here this morning that you can understand. Now, all of us this morning, we got ready for church. Maybe you were getting ready for church this morning. You're doing your hair in the mirror, and this thought comes in. You are ugly. That's a horrible thought. Maybe that happened to somebody. For most of us, it probably didn't. But if that thought came, that's an attack of the enemy to ruin your day. He wants you to feel horrible. He wants you to feel useless from the very beginning. Now, here's the thing. The battle began there, but if you receive that thought, if you believe it and act in it all day, you're going to feel ugly all day. And it's going to affect how you talk to others. It's going to affect what you do or don't do. It may even make you feel so bad, you just say, forget it, I'm going back to bed. So how do you deal with that? And I'm using something kind of simple, but this works for all different things that attack the mind. So that was me. This is what we would need to do. If I was doing my hair and that thought came, you're ugly, this is what I would say. I command that thought, leave me now in Jesus' name. Okay, this is simple, but this is important. Now, for someone, maybe the thought came, you're useless. You shouldn't be here. I command that thought, leave me now in Jesus' name. Maybe the thought came, you don't deserve anything good. I command that thought, leave me now in Jesus' name. Are you guys able to do that? Because this is where it begins. You're never going to amount to anything. 
I command that thought, leave me now in Jesus' name. Your business is going to fail. I command that thought to leave me now in Jesus' name. Do you see where it begins? Now, I want to encourage you to be able to do that, so I want you to repeat it with me so that when you leave here today, you don't forget how this is. You're like, but that's so simple. Hey, it is simple. But if you do nothing and you just receive the thought and start talking it out, you're going to go down a trail you don't need to go. So do that. So I want you to repeat that after me. So whatever thought the enemy tries to attack you with, you're going to say, I command that thought. Okay, some of you got that right away. Let's do that one more time. I command that thought to leave me now in Jesus' name. Now that's the first thing you do to win the battle. Here's the second thing. The second thing you do is declare the truth that you know. And truth comes from here, okay? Declare the truth that you know. Speak it, because when you speak truth in life, it brings life. It brings a change in you, which then plays out through your day. So, going back to our maybe crazy example, I've had that thought, boy, you're ugly. I tell that thought to leave me now in Jesus' name. The second thing I'm going to do is speak truth. No, you see, I'm going to say, God created me, and he said that everything he created was good. So I know that I'm not ugly. And God also said that he created me in his image. And his image is not ugly, and he is perfect. Okay, that might be getting prideful now, but you get the picture. We're saying, no, I know the truth of what God said, and God doesn't make no junk. I'm one of his. And just in case anybody needs to hear that, God didn't make anybody ugly. God made everybody beautiful on the inside. God made everyone in his image. And as the saying goes, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Maybe what you think is beautiful, someone else doesn't, but somebody else knows that's beautiful. And what God created, he created well. So that's a simple one, but it works for all areas of what God's trying to attack you with. Okay? God is not finished with you. God has good things in store. And He's going to bless you. You know what? I'm going to do this again here at this service today. I believe that this is so powerful. What we declare and speak, and when we do truth, it changes people's how they feel, but it also changes destinies. It changes futures. A word from God that's received can change everything. Did you know that? A word from God that's received can change everything. When we speak words of truth, whatever God's put in our heart, it changes the person we speak it to. It makes them feel different inside. And church, we need to do this all the time. We need to have our eyes open to what people are going through and be willing to build them up. It's easy to find someone's faults and bring them down. It's easy to see where someone's messed up or whether they shouldn't have done it that way. That's easy. But how about eyes open looking, what can I do that will build them up a little bit more? What can I do that will encourage them to move forward? So let's do that. Let's use our words and let's help people to feel free and alive because we are saved to live. 
Now, sometimes the battle that you're in may be spiritual, and maybe you're not able to get the victory on your own. I want to encourage you, get others involved. Ask somebody for help. No matter who you are, whether you're a pastor or you work at a mill, it doesn't matter. We're all people, and maybe there's something you're going through. You can't deal with it on your own. Get someone to come along and help. Okay? That's why we're a body of believers. We need one another. We need you. We need you. We need all of you. We need one another. Did you know if the enemy wants to defeat, the first thing he is going to try to do is get you by yourself, is get you to pull away from others. That is the first thing he'll try to do. Because if he can do that, then he can begin to tell you lies and there's nobody to talk to you about it. There's nobody to speak the opposite. So church, you obviously all know that. That's why you're here today. You wouldn't be here if you didn't know that. But I want to encourage you. Being part of church regularly is good for you. It helps with accountability. It allows you to rub with people and work on things. But you know, there's not a single one of us that's not being worked on still. Your pastor included. God is working on me all the time. Finding the rough edges and finding the things that still need to be dealt with. Each and every one of us are in that spot and it can only happen if we're willing to be open and to be with others who can speak into our lives. So let's continue in that. You see, we are saved to live abundantly. We're saved to live free. We're also saved to live healthy. 1 Peter 2 and verse 24. It says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. You see, Christ saved us to live in health. The word saved means to be made whole in every aspect, in our spirits, our minds, and our bodies. And He paid the price and saved us to be healthy. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four 24 to 30, and I'm actually going to start at verse 29, but it's the story or the uh, record of communion, and it's the verses we read often when we take communion. But when you get to the very end in verse 29, it says this, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. You know, this is explaining to us that with communion there were two parts, the Blood and the body, the blood representing, or the juice representing the blood, shed to, for our forgiveness and for our sin, the body broken for our health. And he's saying that not understanding this, many were sick, unhealthy, and even died. So I believe it's important for us to know and understand Christ paid the price for our healing, for our health. And you know what? The greatest miracle is to walk in health. But if sickness has come upon us, we need to be willing to receive prayer and ask for healing and trust Him for it, because He's good. Scripture says, call for the elders, let them anoint with oil and pray for healing. 
Christ sent his followers out and said, heal the sick. Said those that believe will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That means they're going to be well. Healing is important and it is something God wants for us. So today, if you are sick, you want prayer of any kind, at the end of service, after we do the closing prayer, uh, we always have people who are willing to pray up here at the very end, and you can come up. So even though people are dismissed, we have this area here, and we want to pray for people. We want to see them healed. All right. We are also saved to live eternally. You see, God wants us to live abundantly free, healthy, but he also wants to live eternally with him. And the minute you are saved, eternity with him has begun. Now, our spirits are going to live eternally whether you like it or not, and there's going to be a place that your spirit lives after you die. The scripture makes that clear. There's a place called hell, and there's a place called heaven. But when you receive him, when you ask him to save you, you begin eternally living with him. And that is an abundant good life. You see, we are saved to live fully and completely, not halfway, not sort of. You know, I've seen too many live, and they're living with anger, or they're living with depression, or they're living just barely getting by. And yet he paid the price for us to live complete and full, with joy in every area. We cannot allow the lies of the enemy to take us to a place where we're barely getting by. We need to say, okay, we're doing this. We're going forward in His truth, and we're going to live eternally. Romans 6, 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He wants for you and I to be with Him eternally, and it starts now. A verse that many have memorized is John 3.16. But let's back up a couple verses and read it all together. John 3.14. It says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You see, He came to give us eternal life, and He came to cause us to be saved, which means completely made whole. I want to say something here this morning, and I believe it will help you and encourage you. God's Word is truth, and we need to take it and receive it. Did you know as a pastor, I preach this truth whether I've received it all yet or not. I preach it because it's true, and I know the more you speak it, the more you believe it, the more it changes who you are. Don't quit. Maybe you're here with us today, and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've heard about this, you've talked about it, but you've never prayed and asked Him to save you. We want to make opportunity for that this morning. You see, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For you and I here today, if you've not done this or you're wondering what it's about, 
I want to lead you in a simple prayer that allows you to use your words to say what's in your heart. So church, I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me for maybe that one who's not prayed this before. Let's do that now. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I ask you now, forgive me of all I've done wrong. Make me new. Take my life and use it. Amen.